raised up here, so you're going to have to translate some of the stuff I'm saying. I'm from the South, so uh, you pray for me. We got mad when we moved up here, and uh, we started homeschooling the kids, and we found out this is the only place without an accent that you actually speak correctly, and that made me mad because I grew up in Kentucky, and we couldn't stand the Buckeyes, you know. And if someone was driving in the fast lane, well, I'll tell you, uh, we'd always say it's probably a Buckeye when we get up to them, and sure enough, it was a Buckeye or, or, a, or a woman. But, uh, <laughs> no, but uh, you know, I'm just, I'm grateful. I, I never wanted, the last place on earth, I, I'm, I'm being really honest here, I'm not really being funny. The last place on earth I wanted to be was Ohio. We really thought our family... We have eight kids, and we thought we were supposed to be missionaries. I thought that was prerequisite. But, uh, you know, we were willing to go to Africa. We thought maybe Guyana. Even Brother Van Horn said, hey, won't you come help me? So we knew God's moving us from Mountain City, Tennessee. I pastored there for 10 years. And uh, the last place I wanted to go was up here. And Brother Pastor Aaron Dowler gave me a call. We had met at camp the year before. And he said, the Lord laid me on his heart. And I said, yeah, I laughed at him. But then we came up here, and I'll tell you, Lake Milton Baptist Temple has, uh, is, has a wonderful heritage, and there's some wonderful people at that church. God's given us such a wonderful time. I'm so thankful to be a pastor and uh, grateful to be able to preach to some pastors. I feel very insecure this morning to preach to you all and uh, see a lot of friends out there. I'm grateful for Brother Darren. He's out of our church, and Miss Rachel and Ryan there, and Six Day Outdoor Ministry. We're grateful for him. And Brother Van Horns, he's a hero of mine, and uh, met him, I don't know, it's had to be at the, before I pastored, I've been pastoring for 16 years, so probably 20 years ago or more that we met. He stayed in our home many times. Brother Van Horns, just a very close friend, so I'm so grateful he's here. And just grateful everybody's here, Brother Dan Sunday, one of my friends here that texts me every Sunday morning, tells me he's praying for him, Brother Kevin, and we're so grateful they're pastoring at uh, Gospel Baptist in Poland. What a blessing to, to see you all this morning. Turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 21. I, I'd like to say what a message this morning to follow. Brother Dan, thank you so much for that message. And I got to say, I want to visit your church. And it's not because of the preaching. No. No. Toilet paper. My dad told me once when I was a teenager to find something I enjoyed, and toilet paper had something to do with it as well. But, uh, amen. 2 Samuel chapter 21, I've been debating on what to preach this morning, and I believe I'll just follow what the Lord first impressed upon my heart. And 2 Samuel 21, verse number 15, Moreover, the Philistines had yet war again with Israel, and David went down and his servants with him and fought against the Philistines, and David waxed faint. And Ishbibanob, which was of the sons of the giant, the weight of whose spear weighed 300 shekels of brass in weight, he being girded with a new sword, thought to have slain David. But Abishai the son of Zariah succored him and smote the Philistine and killed him. Then the men of David swear unto him, saying, Thou shalt not go no more, or thou shalt go no more out with us to battle. Thou quench not the light of Israel. Isn't that wonderful? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask God that you'll help us this morning. And uh, I was asked to be an encouragement, and I believe that's what you want us to be. 
Uh, it's easy to try to be an encouragement to people in the same field that you're in, the same ministry, because you know the battles that you face. And God, if I could be an encouragement, I'd be grateful. And uh, I ask that you'll help uh, all of our hearts be open. Give me liberty, Lord. And I'm grateful that we can laugh and that we do have joy in you. I am grateful that you are our source. And God, though we wax faint, and though our, heart, our life is often hard and our cross is too much for us and we doubt, we struggle, we have you, Lord, and we're grateful to have you. If we ha you are enough, Lord, and uh, you've always been enough. And I'm sorry for ever doubting you, but God, I'm grateful that you come by and pick us up and take us in your arms and we can rest in you. And I, I rest in you this morning. I pray for help. In Jesus' name, amen. I like to preach a message, waxing faint. You know, sometimes ministry can uh, be wearisome and you can faint. Uh, it can be through discouragement of something that someone said to you. I've had many things said to me. When you're a hard preacher and you preach long, at least my father-in-law told me this. Uh, he's pastor for many years. He said, if you preach long, there's one positive with that. Most of the people that are going to cause you trouble, they won't be able to stay there that long. They'll eventually leave you alone. So I uh, found that out. Uh, that really does work. It's a blessing, you know. It, it really weeds out the crowds. But uh, <laughs> ministry can be very defeating and tiring sometimes. I, just, to, just to try to show you that, I'd like to give you a series of illustrations uh, maybe exaggerated illustration jokes here this morning. There was a man, he woke up on Sunday morning, said, I don't want to go to church. You've heard this. I don't want to go to church. And the wife said to him, yeah, you have to go to church. I'm going to give you two good reasons. You're 54 and you're the pastor. And he said, I, I just can't stand it. So he, uh, he said, I'm, I'm preaching out. I got an arrangement to preach out somewhere because I want to be encouraged. My church is too hard on me. So he preaches out and he heads out to this church. And the only person there is a deacon. He's trying to find encouragement. Nobody's there. Nobody showed up. So he said, did you tell everybody I was coming? And the man looked at him and said, uh, no, but it seems that word gets around. <laughs> so the man said, I'm done, so I'm going to go back to my church. He heads back to his church. He has to wash his hands. He heads into the bathroom. And there is a, a brand new hot air hand dryer that he placed in there. And he's so excited. He's washing his hands. He's like, well, it can't be any worse then going to a church when nobody showed up. So he goes to wash his hands. He goes to dry his hands. And it says on the, uh, a new sign put up above it said, for a sample of this morning's sermon, push the button, you know. So, <laughs> so he heads back into the church. Uh, here, I'll tell you, I got a really long illustration, a really long message. And a re no, I'm joking. But... Uh, <laughs> He gets done preaching that morning and uh, he walks out and he's walking out the back and this young boy, he walks up to him and says, I got to tell you something. I cannot wait to get old. I'm going to give you a lot of money. He said, well, why is that, son? He said, because my dad said you're the poorest preacher we've ever heard. <laughs> so, man, he's about done. So he heads home. You know, at least he's got his house. At least he's got his wife. So he goes to his wife and he looks on the, on the, on the bed and kind of hidden under the blankets. There's a dress and a receipt next to it. $250 for the dress. And he said, honey, what in the world have you done? It's, we're having a hard time. I don't even know if we're going to be here. Why are you spending that much money? You can't do that. I told you what to do. And she said, well, I was at the store. I looked in the window and, and the devil came on my shoulder and said, boy, that dress would look fabulous on you. And uh, 
He said, you know what to do with the devil, honey. I've told you this. Say, get thee behind me, Satan. Well, I did say that to him. And then he said, boy, it looks fabulous from back here as well. So, <laughs> never mind. So, so then, I know this is the longest joke you ever heard. But, uh, so then he heads out, and he sits on the curb, and he just starts weeping. He said, I just can't do this. Jesus walks up to him and says, why are you crying? And he says, I'm a pastor. And Jesus got down next to him and wept with him. <laughs> then he died, and he ran across another minister in the afterlife, and he said, boy, isn't this place so wonderful compared to pastoral ministry? And he said, isn't, he said, isn't heaven so, so wonderful compared to pastoral ministry? And a man said, this isn't heaven. So I'm just <laughs> exaggeration there, fun. <laughs> but, you know, I exaggerate. And we often joke about that, kind of like our wife jokes, but I got the best wife in the world, and I feel like I got the best church in the world, but oftentimes, man, the devil gets on my back, and I am just kind of tired of it. I've had a struggle here lately, just trying to keep positive and having to listen to this man's message about joy, and I'm like, wow, God, give me that joy of the Lord, but I, I do want to be honest with you. I'm grateful for that joy, and I, I'm grateful for people's testimonies of that joy, and and uh, not feeling sometimes so discouraged. But I want to say some people, I don't know, I, I get discouraged and I struggle and I faint. You know, the best people faint sometimes, the greatest. And if the greatest faint, then we ought to listen and take, take note of that. I, I'm preaching uh, through Jesus' life right now. And we're talking about John the Baptist. And John the Baptist sends for Jesus and he says to Jesus, Are you the one? Well, he just proclaimed him as, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the whole world. But he doubted, and, and he's the greatest man. And when great men doubt, I ought to take up, take note and listen to that. And, you know, he doubted, and he fainted. And I, I, I think that many of us, if we agree, we would faint. When you take up your cross, a cross, when, when you have the picture of the cross, there's no end to it, folks. There's no coming back from it. And Jesus Christ says, I got a cross for you. And you're just supposed to take up that cross. And sometimes it's hard to bear even Jesus himself in the garden. He, he shed drops of blood and his disciples fell asleep for sorrow because they saw the one, their master that is so wonderful going through this struggle that he was facing that night and they'd never maybe seen him pray like this and go through what he was going through and they fell asleep for sorrow. And I want to say it now, if Jesus and others, they can faint, I can faint too. Sometimes the weight of the ministry becomes too much for us. It was Spurgeon that said, I am the subject of depression, of spirit so fearful that I hope none of you ever get to, the, to such extremes of wretchedness as I go to. At the end of his life, his last seven years of ministry, he hardly got to minister like a third of the time he ministered. I'm, I, I recognize uh, a story from Miss Haggerty. We have the retired pastor's wife in our church, Miss Gloria Haggerty, and she tells a story about her family member who walked out of a deacon and trustee meeting and went home and took his life. You know, it's serious. Depression is a serious thing. You know, it's the number one cause of disability. It's the number one, number two leading cause of death from ages 15 to 44. And that's not just depression, but suicide. Death by suicide is one in, in 12 uh, there is one every 12 minutes in, in the United States, a suicide. There was, in, in 2014, there's more than this now, probably yearly, but in 2014, there was 42,773 suicides. There were 250,000 
suicide survivors every year. There are 22 veterans that die every day of suicide. Did you know that 12% of pastors surveyed by Faith Life considered, they considered suicide? One out of 10 pastors. 35% of those pastors battle with depression, and I believe they're probably more than that. 38% in a Barna uh, survey just thought of quitting the past year. Did you know a thousand pastors in any denomination, I'm sure, but are leaving the ministry every month? Did you know that one in ten pastors retire as a pastor who start as a pastor? This is not a game. We need to, we need to, we kind of need to be honest with each other that this is, this is the reality. You know, Paul in Acts chapter 14, he was a stone and in Lystra, and he's left out of the city for dead. And he goes and he preaches other places, and he comes back to them. And why did he come back? Because he's afraid they're going to quit, folks. That's why he came back, to confirm the souls, to establish those that were saved, to do a little discipling and mentoring with them. And as he's bruised and probably bloodied from what had just happened to him, he comes back to them and he says, through much tribulation we'll enter the kingdom of God. And tell them everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to go all right. He said, let's be real. This is the, this is the reality of things. When you preach the truth, when you stand for truth and you don't give everybody what, what they want and, 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 and you, you don't compromise your music and you don't compromise your dress and you say, I'm going to stand for the Word of God. I want to say to you, just like John the Baptist that stood and said, it is not right for you to have your, uh, your brother's wife, Herod, and Herodias was angry and would have killed him but could not. Just like that, speaking the truth, people will hate you, folks. You know, the Bible speaks this. It says, Jesus says, I'm sending you forth. When he sent out the twelve, he says, I send you forth as, as sheep among wolves. Be ye wise as serpents, harmless as doves. And then the next phrase says this, but beware of men. And I realize I don't wrestle against flesh and blood. But I want to tell you, the devil gets on flesh and blood. I know he does plenty of that on me. And I've done my fair share of discouragement as well. But man, think, folks, waxing faint. We wax faint. Notice the text of Scripture here. It says, Moreover, the Philistines had yet war again with Israel. The conflict this morning. There's conflict, war again. David was a man of war. Some say that he was, he'd won at least 66 battles. I don't know, really know where they get that number. But uh, I know that there is at least, in I think it's 2 Samuel chapter 8, that mentions at least 12 battles that David uh, and, and people groups that David conquered. He was a man of war. And you think of being a man of war, man, and, and being victorious, you'd think that'd be pretty simple if you're always victorious. But it weighs on you. And then when you're in the battle and it's weighing on you, and you think and you read about David and you read his Psalms and you think, man, that guy's paranoid. He's always got enemies. God, help me with the enemies that are around. But he really had enemies. He had people against him all the time. That's reality. That's the reality of the thing. Uh, when, when you get in this battle, the reality is you get a target on your back. The devil hates you. He, and he came not to coddle you in ministry. He came to kill, steal, and destroy. I, I, we can't let him win, folks. 
And, and it's not, we're not going to win. Nobody ever wins going into a football game and saying that the opponent's just an easy opponent and we're not going to have any problem. No, this opponent that we're facing is the best opponent we've ever faced. I'm an Alabama fan. Nick Saban's about the process. And he says, you just concentrate on playing the best ball that you can right now and do the best you can right now in practice and everywhere. You do the best and you, you concentrate on yourself and we'll do right when we face the opponent. And when we say, you let your guard down, you're going to be destroyed. Because war is here. War again. War again. Jesus faced it, didn't He? Everywhere He went, Jesus, there was conflict. It was like the devil said, here, I'll send the Pharisees. I'll send the Pharisees. I'll send the Sadducees. I'll always try to trip Him up. He never got tripped up. We got an awesome Savior, don't we? <laughs> Think about me. If they come asking me questions, don't come to my church asking me them questions. You're going to find how dumb I really am, you know. And I'll try my best to give you a scripture, but man, Jesus, he was awesome. Every answer that he ever gave was wonderful. I'm not Jesus, you know. And the devil trips me up sometimes, and he comes at me in conflict, and then someone will say something to me just like a couple of weeks ago. I'm not going to tell you what they said and complain before you hear this morning, but they said something to me. And you know, I've thought of a thousand things I can tell them now. <laughs> but at that moment, I couldn't think of a thing. Except, man, you never say anything encouraging to me. <laughs> Only thing you say to me is something discouraging. But I, I want to say, uh, uh, there is a battle going on. Paul, everywhere he went, you go to Acts chapter 9, verse 23, 29, man, it says, here comes the Jews. And they came and they followed after every work that he was doing. And, and uh, they come in to try to destroy it. Acts chapter 13, Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 15, Acts chapter 16. They stoned him to death in Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 17, Acts chapter 18, Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19, remember the demons that came on the sons of Sceva? They, they, they made this statement to the sons of Sceva who tried to cast out the demons and do what Paul had done. They said, who are you? Paul, I know. Jesus, I know. But who are you? You see, when you get in the battle, they know you. They know you. I've seen enough of it. In, in two years in Mountain City, Tennessee, I know it's kind of a rougher place, but in two years we saw new, new converts, at ten new converts and people that were coming to church go to jail or something of that sort. You think that in two years you're talking about discouraging. But they were coming and hearing the truth. And they had something now they had to give, uh, uh, they were responsible for, and they got a target on their back. And you watch one after another anywhere you go. And you watch your people and you start to get nervous. That new convert, they need to be discipled. They need to be baptized. Amen. That's part of the Great Commission. It's not about just seeing a person saved. It's about that. And we're trying to disciple them. And you want to see them really grow. You want to see fruit that remains. And then all of a sudden, just something happens. Something with their wife or spouse. Something with their children. Something with their job. And you go, oh, it's so obvious. I wish they could see it. Because the devil is at war with us. It's conflict again. And it's wearisome. Brother Randy Pike, has anybody ever heard of Brother Randy Pike, missionary? Well, my poor, my son's the only one. Boy, what a wonderful missionary. He, he, he was paralyzed from his waist down in a ac football accident at age 18. But man, he went to South, America, South Africa and was one of the pioneer missionaries there and in Australia. He did a marvelous work for God. And we'd have him come and preach in Somerset, Kentucky at the church I grew up at. Brother Randy Pike, I remember getting right with God one Tuesday night. He preached passing the torch about gospel tracks. And uh, I, I walked forward, me and my wife, and we, we were not living like we should be living. We laid out the night before, 
And I remember him saying this to us. He said, if you're able to be hurt, suffer, and be misunderstood and stay sweet, you'll make it in the ministry. You know, there's war. But we still have a responsibility to not become bitter and hateful. Boy, I fell at that so much, folks. And uh, I wish you'd pray for me. If you'd pray for me, I'd appreciate that. If I get people praying for me in the church, I'd be grateful for that. I don't know if some of you do that. But uh, to stay sweet, even in the conflict. There's conflict this morning. But notice David, in verse that same verse says, and there was war again in Israel. And David went down. David went down. In the middle of this conflict, you know David was in his 60s? In the middle of this conflict. You know what I think going through David's mind at this time is like, I'm not staying back again. When kings go forth to battle, I'm not staying back again. No matter what happens to me, I, I'm not, I don't want to go down that path anymore in my life. I'm going to set up some roadblocks. I'm going to go where I'm supposed to go. And folks, preachers, you want to know why sometimes we get faint? It's not only because someone said something to us in ministry hard and we got a target on our back. It's because we got that target on our back and we succumb to the temptation that he put before us. We got cell phones we're looking at. You say more than 50% of preachers looking at pornography. Folks, listen to me. We need to put, a, we need to put guards up if we're going to have that. We need to have guards on that cell phone. A lot of people depressed, taking their own life and stuff like that because they've gotten in sin. I've been, I've been there, struggled with things, and God gives victory. And here David had truly repented in his life. Nathan had called him out, and he's like, I've got to go down to battle. But you know what happened with David's life? You're talking about conflict. Not only did he have wars, but he was a king. And man, what conflict he must have faced as a king, but not just in the king, being a king, but his family. David, what he faced with his family, how hard that is. Isn't that seem we think the church is hard, but man, when your family is not loving the Lord and serving the Lord, that is such a burden on a pastor or an evangelist or someone. It is such a burden. You just want them to follow the Lord, and you see David, he had a family. David made his mistake, and David, his baby dies. Tamar is raped by Amnon, and then Amnon dies. And then Absalom comes, and he cast out Absalom. He should have given him time. He kind of cast Absalom out. He couldn't come before David because of killing Amnon. But then Absalom finally comes back, and then Absalom wins the heart of the people. You're talking about conflict and war. And in the middle of that, you're 60-some years old. Let's just throw in the towel. Let's just give up, David. Why even care? And I remember David, when Absalom came in, he's heading out of town, and Shimei's throwing the stones at him. And David just... I'm not going to fight. He's at least learned something in his life that the, the battle's God's. It's not mine. And if he's going to curse, God's allowing, allowing, allowing him to curse. I wish I could get to that point that whatever someone says, you know, God allowed that to happen. God knows about that before I knew about it. And David comes to this point and he's just heading out. Then Absalom's dead. He says, how about my son Absalom? And then he's crying out, oh, my son. Oh, my son Absalom after he's dead. But now there's a battle and David is still out there fighting. You know, sometimes we just got to get up and we got to fight. Whether we feel like it or we don't feel like it. Whether we don't want to come in and get in the pulpit on Sunday morning, whether we don't want to do that, we want to just stay home, let's just get in the pulpit that morning. Oh, God can give victory. If the devil's battling, he must want to do something. Now look here, and I, 
I think about those that battle. I think Brother Mark Jacobs and all that he's went through. Just sitting down him for lunch one time and just listening to the things he went through. But what a man of God. And I'm so thankful he's still in the fight. Amen. And quit. And some of you men, you're here tonight. You've, you've faced so much and your family's been a wreck and all that's going on. But you're still in the fight. Maybe nobody's coming to your church. And you think, man, I, I'm, a, I'm a failure. I'm good for nothing. But you see, you're still in the fight. And it's not going to matter all the numbers that were in the pews. It's going to matter one day that he says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. My dad just pastored in East Kentucky. Nobody understands. And everybody thinks, oh man, they, they all got a big church over here. They got a big church over there. And my dad struggled because it, it's, it's hard in that country. All them hollers and stuff. And Barbersville, Kentucky is where he was. It was hard there. And if we don't watch it, we look around and we compare ourselves among ourselves. Or we do, and we want to, we do want to give God's blessings, but we don't want to be braggart about that. We don't want to paste everything on Facebook all the time and say, look at everything. God's in because other people are struggling. And we want to encourage them, but let's be careful our motivation behind it as well. Man, we got people, you know, the old men looked when they built that temple and they all wept. But I thought, you know, what I find as Jesus Christ is, hey, you just go on. and I'm going to be with you. You know, it didn't matter how big the temple was. It mattered about the presence of God. And it doesn't matter if there are two people in our churches on Sunday. Is the presence of God there. That's the most important thing. But notice how courageous David was. We saw his conflict. Now we see his courage. David was courageous. I'm just want to hear, I want to be here today to encourage you. Be courageous today. Fight even when you're tired. Don't quit. Stay in the fight, please. I need you to stay in the fight. We all need you to stay in the fight. Demas, you know, Demas hath forsaken us having loved this present world. I like preaching this message called, Where's Demas? Where's Demas? And that's the question that I guarantee Timothy was asking because Demas, if you look with Paul, Demas was there beside him everywhere he went. And... Uh, Demas was his right-hand man. And you guarantee in Timothy's mind, he's going, where's Demas? What happened to him? He says, everybody's forsaken me. And then he mentions Demas. Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. You know, Demas, if he was a right-hand man, do you know that he had to have a good testimony? If he's walking with Paul, you know he had to have a good testimony. Paul was petty sometimes, it seemed like, right? <laughs> he's a strict guy. He had to have a good testimony. And he had, he, no, Paul is not going to lay his hand suddenly on no man. He was approved of Paul. Where's he at now? No, I, I, can you hear in Paul's voice the yearning for Timothy to come quickly? Do you not hear it? Read that text differently next time. Don't read it as a conquering man at the end of his life. Read it as a man. Please, Timothy, come. I need help. I need you here. Man hath forsaken me. You say, man, tell those people they don't, they don't need anybody. They just need Jesus Christ. Yeah, we all need Jesus Christ. But I want to tell you, I, I, need my, I need friends. I need my church people. I love my church people. I preach. I get up and I preach hard, man. You can ask them all and I preach long. But I'll go back there in the back and I'll tell them I love them. I love my people. And that's why it hurts so bad sometimes when they hurt. They say things, but I, you got to be courageous and keep going, folks. Recognize what Spurgeon said. He said, the affliction is the best book in a minister's library. Look at it like that. Say, all right, I'm, I'm going through this affliction right now, but 
It's the best thing. God is working in my life in this affliction. Then notice the comrades, amen. I guess I got ahead of myself. He said he went down and his servants with him, amen. In ministry, you need to recognize that you're not alone. The devil isolates us. Now you would, you would preach this. Any of us would preach this in the pulpit when we go back home like that. The devil's going to isolate you. Don't quit church. When the devil starts to discourage you, he's going to keep you home. And we'd all preach it, but then we do it. We go through a discouraging time and we start giving our people a cold shoulder. And we start sitting off to ourselves. And we don't fellowship with our people. We don't love on our people. We don't have our people over. And spend time with our people. You need to recognize they're in the battle with you as well. What You're waxing faint, but in their jobs and everything else, they're waxing faint too. They need somebody to come alongside of them, an under-shepherd. We need them. What is an under-shepherd without sheep? Oh, those sheep are precious to us. We love them. They're our comrades. And I'm grateful for the special comrades God gives us. You know, the ones that come alongside of us. I think about the adventure. Someone preached when I was a kid in Sunday school about a faith acrostic. It says a fantastic adventure in trusting Him. <laughs> and, and that's really, you can look at it like that. So my pastor always, after hearing that, my pastor would always say, it's an adventure, Joseph. It's an adventure. He's kind of a bubbly guy like you, brother. And I'm like, won't you stop being so happy? Be, be sad and stuff sometimes. Make me feel better about myself. But like Brother Van Horn, like, quit being happy, Brother Van Horn. You make me look bad, but... <laughs> But uh, Brother Clark's always, it's an adventure. I remember heading down to Florida to go work for him, and our, our car had a blowout, and he just smiles and goes, it's an adventure, Joseph. It's an adventure. I'm like, yeah, I guess so, brother. It's an adventure. But it is, isn't it? You don't know what's going to happen next, but it is an adventure. Look at it like that. This is an adventure with Christ. I don't know. It's a risk with a great under, undertaking with a great risk. And I'm looking at this. It's an adventure. And I think about the best adventure that I can think of is like the Lone Ranger. The Lone Ranger, he'd shoot. He never gets shot. Like, that guy's awesome. And he always shot their hands. Like, hey, this, is, this is great. You know, he's wonderful. Spot on every time. Never kill anybody. Just arrest them all. I'm like, Lone Ranger, you're awesome. But guess what happened with the Lone Ranger? He got him a sidekick, a comrade. Tonto, Amen. And, and it just shows us that we need a comrade. We need people alongside of us. You know, Jesus Christ, He may have went to the cross by Himself, but Jesus Christ in His life, He pulled people alongside of Him. And He took them and He trained them and He took them along with them and mentored them and, and took them serious, said, I'm not in this alone. I'm going to take you with me because I'm going to leave. The comforter's going to come and you're going to have a great task at hand. I want you to come be my comrade. Look, look at the people around you as comrades. I remember one in Tallahassee, Florida when I was there for four years. His name was Carlos Concepcion. Carlos Concepcion, he's uh, from Dominican Republic. I don't even know if he was legal. I'm not sure. I always tease him. He called me gringo. I always called him gringo. I didn't know what it meant. He goes, gringo means a white man. Come on, dude. I can't even talk fake Spanish. But Carlos, Carlos, he's like, hey, uh, we always tease him, but I got Carlos alongside and, and I said, won't you come out 
And he'd come into the church services. And won't you come out soul winning with me sometime? I like soul winning. I was going soul winning like every night at that time. Didn't care about my wife or one of the kid. I was not balanced right at the time, but I was going out all the time. So he'd come out with me, and I drug him along with me, and he'd go. And then we'd run across a Spanish person, and he was an ex-Catholic. We call him recovering Catholics, you know. And he and he's he's talking to him like. What did you say to them, brother? And I'm like, no, no, this, you just let me talk and you can translate for me in the future, okay, Brother Carlos? Well, so we go out, and, and after going out for a while, we came back. I said, brother, what's your testimony? And he said, oh, uh, I was working at IGA, and he still worked at IGA, and I'm the produce manager. And he said at the, at the produce department, uh, a lady would come in and lay a gospel track out, chick track. And she said, I, I took the chick track, he said, and I'd throw it away and I get mad that she's littering up my produce department. <laughs> and he continued to tell his story, but he said, I was going through some problems and I picked up one of those chick tracks and I started to think, and there was a man named Brother Duncan that, I forget the first name, but he said he was inviting me to church. So I said, I'm going to go to church with him. And I uh, went to church with him and he said, sitting all the way on the other side of the auditorium was that white-haired lady that was passing out those tracks. And he said, three weeks later, Pastor Clark took me back there in the back and I got saved. And I said, "Woo! Amen, Brother Carlos. That's wonderful, wonderful news. And he never told anybody that. So I said, Pastor, he's got to give a testimony. He'd been going for a year and never told anybody. He's got to give a testimony. He gave, him a, he gave a testimony, shared too much of some of his life. But man, he shared that. And people were like, praise the Lord. And that woman, you know that woman, I want to tell you something. That woman was the most discouraged and paranoid woman you ever met. She'd miss church so much and all that, but I'll tell you one thing, she passed out gospel tracts faithfully. Carlos Concepcion, he started a bus route after that. You know, one week he led like 10 people to the Lord in IGA. His boss led him. That guy, through the years, he kept being faithful and God kept working in him. You know where he's at right now? Dominican Republic as a missionary. And you know what he does all the time? He soul wins all the time. He just goes out and he soul wins all the time, almost every day. Carlos Concepcion does. I call him my comrade. I didn't have many like that, but he's my comrade. There's other comrades that come around, Brother Daniel Jones with the Operation Renewed Hope. He was there in Mountain City. You know, you work with anybody, you always, there's always conflicts and stuff. You ever do that. Listen, I tell, I tell my people, you got something wrong, let's talk it out. I, me and my wife fight. You know, I love her more than I love you. We can fight sometimes too. It's okay. We'll just get it out and we'll move on. I've had them cuss me out. And then I'll say, is that it? And then we talk it out and now we're best buddies, you know. Don't hold it against them. I'd rather them cuss me out, by the way, than give me silent treatment. I hate that stuff. But uh, Brother Daniel Jones became a comrade and was able to leave the church there in Mountain City with him. He passed her for a few years, four or five years. I knew this was going to happen. Then he goes out full time in the mission field. He's still a he's still a physician assistant, and his nursing home. He's a busiest guy, but he's he's been all over the world now. He's a comrade of mine. I got people in my church like Brother Darren that's come along, Brother Van Horn, uh, Brother Rick Higginbotham at my church. We got a group of guys that's going to go out tonight. A young man got saved just a few years ago. Now he's leading up the visitation program. And you know what? I, he's, he's just my comrade. He's my comrade. He's my buddy. And these other ones are my comrades. And I'm the sorriest pastor in the world. 
But you know what? I, I'm, I want to be their comrade. I'm not their best friend. They know I'm their pastor, but I'm their comrade. And you know what? I feel like, man, preachers, we need to be comrades too. You know, I was reading the statistics that 80% of pastors admit to feeling jealous of other pastors. Let's not be jealous of one another. Let's love on one another. And if there's someone that's got problems in here, let's love on each other. We're comrades together in this battle. We're not here to judge each other. Who cares? Who cares if people dress a certain way in their church or whatever else? Let's, you know, you, he, Paul, at the end of his life, he said, you know, bring John Mark. The stuff that I had problems with before, it just doesn't matter as much anymore. You know, the older I get in the ministry, some of that stuff I was so caught up in before, it just doesn't matter as much anymore. I just realize, man, there's, no, there's few in the fight. And there's a liberty to be given. Let's have, a, let's have some comrades in this group that we get together. And we love on one another. Amen. Then notice the stinking challenger, Ishbibanob. He's the son of the giant. i got to hurry. And you know, he had him down, it says. Verse number 16 in Ishbibanob which was, I'm, I'm sorry here. Yeah, you, you see Ishbibanob, which was of the sons of the giant, the weight of whose spirit weighed 300 shekels of brass and weight, he being girded with a new sword, thought to have slain David. You see the challenger? He thought he won. You know, the devil shows us his tactic with Jesus. He doesn't care if taking Jesus to the grave and Him resurrection gives us salvation, He just wants to take Jesus to the grave. He wants to destroy Jesus. You know, G devil, He just wants to destroy you. It doesn't matter if that trial that you're going through, he th it, it's going to make you stronger in the end. He just wants to destroy you. You know, know your enemy. He's here to destroy. He's here to discourage and devour and defile and cause you to doubt. Then notice the condition of David. It said he waxed faint. He was tired. He was done. It was too much for him. Too much for him. He was broken. He was cast down. He asked a good question in the psalm. He said, my soul, why art thou cast down within me? Why art thou cast down? It's a good question to ask. If you're depressed today. Why art thou cast down? You know, it's not just sometimes spiritual matter. Sometimes it's a physical matter. Sometimes you eaten completely wrong. You don't eat anything. You're going to have some troubles. You've got to take care of yourself. You ask a lot of questions. That's a good question to ask. And David was broken here, but he didn't quit. didn't quit. I think of Eleazar when he held the sword. It said his hand cleaved to the sword. You know, that's what we've got to do. We've got to cleave to the sword. Hold on to the Word of God. Lastly this morning, verse number 17. I like this. I put a but right here before this point. But Abishai. The son of Zariah succored him and smote the Philistine and killed him. Then the men of David swear unto him, saying, Thou shalt go no more out with us to battle, that thou quench not the light of Israel. And I noticed the comforter in this text of Scripture. Abishai came, amen. His comrade came. You know, if you're a comrade to others and you live life around them and you're friendly, a, friend, a man that has friends must show himself friendly. And you're a comrade and you're a friend to others. Guess what? One day when they're down, you are there and you're at the hospital. One day when you're down, they're there. Amen. And here's this comforter that comes. And you know, he's a person like the Holy Spirit of God. He's a person like Jesus Christ. He Hebrews chapter 2, verse number 17. Hebrews 2, verse 17. And 
You all know these verses. You probably got them memorized. I'm going to have to read them. Hebrews 2, verse 17, it says, Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. And that word succor or succor means to come to the aid of. Amen. To come to the aid of. And Abishai came to the aid of David. And hallelujah, the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ, He comes to the aid of us. Amen. He comes to the aid when you are broken. You know, a, a broken, if, if you, what is it, uh, Psalm 51. He says, uh, God doesn't desire sacrifice. It's a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart and a broken spirit that he will not despise. That's what God wants. You know, God wants brokenness. You had to come to God broken as a lost person. He wants you to come to him broken every day. Say, God, I am not able to mend myself. I'm not able to do this myself. I need you. And God takes the broken pieces and he mends us together. Amen. God is a God of restoration. He loves to restore I think about that with the Holy Spirit and with Jesus Christ. And then I think about this, us. We're called to do the same work. He says, ye who are spiritual in Galatians chapter 6, if one be overtaken with a fault, ye are spiritual, you know, come by and restore such a one. You come and restore that one. It goes a couple of verses later. If you think you're something and you're nothing, however the verse goes, you, you, you all know that. This is great preaching to preachers. It's like I can start a verse and it's like you know the verse. So, so we see, and, and you think you're something and you're not going to do what you're called to do, what we're all called to do as Christians, what Jesus did for you. He said, you're nothing. You're not even, you shouldn't even be in the ministry. We're called to go by and suck or others. Isn't that wonderful? Many times in ministry, there's been people come by me and they came by to my aid. I'm so grateful for them. My people could hear it in me Sunday morning. Past three weeks have been kind of rough on Sunday morning. I don't know why. You know, the devil just fights sometimes. And it comes out sometimes. These sorry preachers that get in the pulpit and this comes out like, won't you just shut up, Joseph? It comes out. You talk about discouragement. And you know, about 50 people come by and go, Pastor, we love you. We love you, Pastor. And they just wanted to be sure. They, they, we, we got you, Pastor. Don't concentrate on the one or two. We got you. I want to be there for them too, though. I want to be there for others. I would like to be there for you. If there's ever a need, you know, let us be there for others. And I like the attitude of the people. He said, thou shalt not go anymore because it'll quench the light of Israel. That's the right type of attitude about a pastor. If you're a pastor today, you know, God puts you there and you're even called a, can, a light in, in Revelation. Quench, put out the candlestick. You know, God place you there. Holy Spirit called you to that place. And not to Lord, but it is, you, you shouldn't be so insecure to think, I, I shouldn't be here. No, God placed you there. He put you there. No church is ever going to survive with the attitude that pastors are a dime a dozen. Realize that. And uh, if you're not a pastor here today, love your pastor. The pastors, you know, love our people, be their comrades. And uh, be come before our congregation, you know, even when we're faint. You know, just to conclude, if you are here today and you're struggling, get help. 
get help, okay? Uh, John the Baptist always thought that he became very vulnerable with his disciples when he said, go and ask Jesus. It wasn't that a vulnerability. He's the one calling him, behold the Lamb of God. Now he's, he is being honest. I'm doubting. I'm struggling. I don't care what you all think about it. I need help. And it doesn't matter what people think about you. If you've got someone in your church you can go to, you've got other pastors you can go to, you need to go to them and you need to talk to them. You need to get help. It can be a sin problem. It can be all the way to a depression problem. Whatever else is going through your mind, get help. I've already mentioned G, uh, Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 4. I really believe he's crying to Timothy for help. Come. Everybody's left me. Look at all that. And do, come your, do thy diligence to come before winter. Do it now. If you don't come before winter... It, you probably never get it done. Do it now. Come quickly, please. Get my cloak and the books, parchments in the books. Bring them, please. I need them. Help, Timothy. Help. Help. Today, would you just say, I, I need him. Scripture says, cast all your care upon him, for he careth for you. I'm glad for that. But, you know, just because you cast your cares doesn't take the pain away. It's Brother Randy Pike that gave illustration that he broke his arm as a young child and he was in excruciating pain. And his father came by and he took him up in his arms. And you know, he said, it didn't take my pain away, but it helped being in his arms. You know, the Bible says, cast all your cares upon him. It doesn't take your pain away, but it helps being in his arms. Amen. There's a song I was going through horrible, horrible time in Mountain City, Tennessee. And uh, I thought, man, I'm going to have to quit or something's going to have to give. And uh, it gave, amen, it gave, and God blessed. And I remember coming to my wife, and we just wept in each other's arms. And when we sang this song that was special to us, clouds are dis disappearing, skies are turning blue. Only just a while ago, I told him I was through. He did not rebuke me, but with arms of strong embrace. He pulled me up and carried me into a field of grace where all is calm, leaning on His side. He pulled me from a stormy sea to a place where I could rest. He told me I was safe. He told me I was whatever saved. And he pulled me from that stormy sea to a place of rest. Today, that's what Jesus can do for us. Amen. Thank you all for the opportunity. And uh, we appreciate you all. What an encouragement. Get around preachers. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray you'll bless, Lord, the rest of the time. And I don't even know if I went over my time, Lord. Uh, I didn't pay attention. But I thank you for the liberty here today and these good preachers and this good church. Thank you for Pastor Shane. What an encouragement he has been. I pray you'll bless him, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.